reality is businesses need to get to that point where their workers can be anywhere. Power, Wi-Fi, and internet and a laptop is all they need. And they can move things around digitally and access everything that they need uh, without these archaic you know, tech stacks and VPNs and you know various things of that nature. It's like get into the cloud. So I think that trend is going to continue for many years. So I think there's going to be still some significant investment there. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. Really excited to welcome Steve Baines to the show today. Steve, I would love if you would give an introduction for the audience members who uh, aren't familiar with you already. Thanks, Ledge. Uh, My name is Steve Baines. I am currently... Vice President of Salesforce Practice at a company called Apps Associates. Uh, Apps Associates just recently acquired uh, my company, which of which I was a co-founder of, a company called Forcivity, uh, based in the Northeast United States. That was uh, fortunately uh, the the latest in line of uh, a number of different uh, endeavors that I've had successful exits at. You certainly could refer to me as a serial entrepreneur. Yeah, I noticed as I scrolled down your LinkedIn, it says acquired by, acquired, acquired, acquired. So it seems like you've been through that a few times. I'd love to to dive into that a little bit and just, you know, hear about those stories. I think in many cases, you know, people start companies and think, you know, what's what's my exit plan? And in, in many cases they don't. And it, it becomes a serendipitous type of of things. So I find those stories to be you know, really instructive. I, I have fortunately had the opportunity to go through mergers or acquisitions from a number of different angles, just as an employee, uh, as a co-founder, as a sole founder, a merger and acquisition. I've been acquired. I've acquired. This one was by far and away the most eye-opening. Uh, I certainly learned the most uh, with this one because uh, it went well beyond uh, financial terms and courting potential suitors or, you know, anything like that. It was, I, I learned more about <laughs> legal ease and accounting and audits and, you know, all of that stuff behind the scenes that happens as part of this. It was a, it was a, it was an educational exercise for me. Um, and, you know, something that you wrote, you wouldn't necessarily be able to pick up out of a book. You just have to kind of experience it. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. The one thing you learn is that your legal bills can always go up, you know, so Oh, that is for sure. <laughs> and you talked a little bit, you know, off mic about it seems like maybe one of the unifying sort of passions of, of your your work and time as a founder and executive has been human development and professional development and taking care of the the team members, you know, from a just from a an investment standpoint. I, I think that's really important as a lesson for, you know really everybody in the audience has some type of relationship where they have to nurture other employees. I'd, I'd love to talk about that. Well, I'm not one for complacency or stagnation. I always like doing more, learning more. And whenever I've been in a job that I've had that opportunity to really explore and 
improve myself, learn new skills. I've always thrived in that. So when I kind of made the transition into, uh, you know, kind of finding founding companies and hiring employees and team members, um, I really kind of adopted that principle with them and really wanted to give all of them those same opportunities, kind of that same path. As I mentioned to you off mic, uh, I've always taken the approach that uh, when folks are working for my company, it's not going to be their last job. Um, it's a stepping stone in their career. So how do we make the experience they're having now in this company the best possible experience to prepare them for whatever's next? While along the way, you know, just enjoying the ride and you know, getting more new opportunities and uh, learning new things and facing new challenges um, and knowing that they've got kind of a, a safe space and a, a support framework behind them to do that. It's, it strikes me as uh, at that time of recording, you know, that a hot element of the news is sort of the the great reshuffling, resignation, blah, you know, whatever word you want to apply to that. And, you know, one of the one of the core issues when you dig into the data on you know why people are saying that they're they're leaving is just balance and, and personal investment. And I wonder if setting out with that message right away, like, I know this isn't your last stop and I want to prepare you for the future is actually like a probably a really good retention mechanism. Like, how is that how is that received and how has it paid off for you? I think it's paid off very well. You know, if I look at the companies that I've either founded myself or co-founded or been on the leadership team, yeah, I'm a very empirical person. I, you know, I make data-based decisions and I can look at things like turnover and employee retention rate and things of that nature. And if I look at it through that lens, I would consider it to be, I would consider my approach to be very successful. Yeah, it definitely resonates with folks. Um, sometimes it catches them off guard when I say that. This is not going to be your last stop, so let's make it the best stop possible. You know, it really strikes them very positively. And, you know, everybody's been very receptive to the approach. And the one thing I want them to know is that with me as their manager, their team leader, or their CEO, is that they know that they've always got somebody who's got their back and is interested in them as an individual as opposed to just an employee or just a number. Sure, sure. So bring that down to some tactics. Let's do a little learning here. You know, what what specifically do you do to build out a program that that not just sort of lives in that, you know, ethereal space of we're going to invest in you, but I mean, what are you what are you actually doing that you would recommend to, you know, others in the audience? So I come from the professional services space. Um, and as I'm sure most people know, that's a business of selling time. Uh, so you've got to make space for people to be actually act, be able to do these things, whether it's, you know, training or education, funding it, you know, giving folks a budget, giving folks a, a training or education budget, or giving them a time off policy that allows them to explore other things or making space in their schedule or their project load to be able to accomplish these things. Everybody that's ever been on my direct team, I engage with them on one-on-one uh, meetings all the time. And I tell them right off the bat, I said, this is your time. This is not my time. So this is your time to interact with me, to, to brainstorm, to ideate, just to vent. You know, again, just providing them that support network that everybody needs. I need it. I need it as an individual. I, <clears throat> I look to my, my manager, my leader to provide the same type of thing. So it's a fairly straightforward, simple thing that you can do right out of the gate. Doesn't require training, doesn't require effort other than, you know, 30 or 60 minutes every hour to make the time to meet with your team. 
And you do that on a one-to-one basis then. So you are spending a probably a pretty good percent of your leadership time in that developmental mindset. I think it's easy for leaders to get their own calendar booked out where you just say, gosh, I haven't had a one-on-one in you know, a month. What is going on around me? And so the, that time management discipline to say that that's important for you to do and that it is a core piece of the job is probably a different di- disposition than a lot of you know, sort of service delivery businesses would have. It, it is. And I, I've always have to stay very mindful of the purpose of those one-to-one meetings. Um, oftentimes I use them to deliver updates to my team, but I have to remind myself that it's, it's their meeting. It's their time and give them the opportunity to do whatever it is that they planned on doing. I, I actually always feel bad when I have to move somebody's one-to-one or I have to cancel it or reschedule it. Um, because I know that, you know, oftentimes they're they're waiting for that 30 minutes on Thursday mornings to cover X, Y, and Z. And, you know, like most folks, my calendar is jammed and finding finding other time to work is not always the easiest thing in the world. So it's important to remember how critical and how important those one-to-one interactions are with your team. They matter to them. It's very easy as a leader to dismiss it and say, ah, it's just a meeting. We'll catch up next week. Um, and it's, it's easy to forget that it's very, very easy to forget that. Um, so I, it's something I remind myself, you know, I kind of tie the virtual string around my finger to say this one-on-one is very important to this person. So, you know, make sure that they know that it's important. Yeah. And canceling those sends a message that actually will not, you know, sort of rise up necessarily, but you do that on a repeated basis and it just really communicates, uh, far more negatively, like that you, you essentially, you are not important to me. This is just, you know, sort of a thing that I am supposed to do, but I'm not doing it. Yeah. And I've done it. I admit, admittedly, I've done it. I've, I have always been the best at it. Um, but it's something I, you know, consistently try to improve upon and, you know, just be very mindful of how important of an aspect that is to managing a successful team. So you do have a long career and technology, professional services, you know, all sort of types of things there and got into the founder, you know, sort of entrepreneur mindset through that. What was that evolution like? I, I have the same type of story. So I'm always curious, like, how did you get to the point where you kind of go, yeah, I'm really going to do that and start to build new things instead of working, you know, for somebody else? Well, uh, I was actually inspired by my mother. Uh, my mother started her own business with my uncle, her brother. I was in high school when she did that. And I didn't really recognize what was actually occurring at the time and the risk that she took and what being an entrepreneur actually meant. But as the years went by, and this is right when I was leaving high school, I went to college, started a family, started my working career. And just seeing the struggles they went through, the triumphs they went through, um, I worked for her for a little bit. So I was kind of kind of in the front lines. It really was an impetus for me to say, I could do this. I absolutely could do this. And then I had the opportunity very early on in my career to dip my toe in the water. And I've told many folks who have you know, kind of asked me, like, well, how did you do it? And you know, how could you be successful? Uh, the one thing I tell them all is the first time that you generate revenue on your own, you believe in yourself immediately. You just believe in yourself so much differently than saying, you know what, I think I can do this. You suddenly shift to say, 
I know I can do this. And then you, you can even take it a step further to say, okay, now I'm going to actually hire a team. And hiring that first employee is a tectonic shift. It's, it's a complete different game changer. But once you do it, you're like, okay, I can do this. And then it just kind of snowballs from there. But she was, yeah, she was my inspiration. Um, she knows that I've, I've told her that before, you know, it's, I've just kind of continued that. And, you know, once you do it and you kind of become your own boss, uh, it's not always, you know, it's not all glory for sure by any means, but it's extremely satisfying. And what's it like then when you're, your own thing becomes part of somebody else's thing and you're sort of not the owner anymore. You know, it's like, it. I think there's an emotional component to that. Having, I have gone through it, you know, in, in different seats and I've always had to make that calculation is like, you know, why did I set out to do this? And does being a member of this team or even now an employee of a larger thing, does it feel true to what I was trying to do, but also knowing that I, you know, I know I've sort of, I wanted to unlock some value. I wanted to, you know, add liquidity to the table. Like there's a lot of like stuff there and it's emotional and financial. And I imagine you had the same experience. Uh, If it was 20 years ago and this had just happened, I probably would answer this question very differently, but I'm at the point in my career where I've checked just about all the professional boxes that I set out to check. I've accomplished, you know, for the most part, you know, just, it's like, yeah, I've done that. I've been a CEO. I've been a founder. I've been a worker bee, you know, and kind of everything in between. So this most recent acquisition, I'm just another employee. Uh, and I'm actually content with that. That's uh, the first time in 15 years I haven't owned my own business. Um, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a period of mourning, if you will, where there was a bit of an adjustment, but uh, it was you know, it was nothing. It was a very, very small bump in the road. It's like, all right, this is, this is a shift for me. This is a change, but it's, it's, it's kind of liberating at the same time too, because now I can, now I don't have to worry about making payroll or making sure that we've got insurance for this or leasing office space. You know, I can really focus on the things that motivate me. Well, there's, and there's an unwinding of all that complexity, which is, is where, you know, some of that, you know, people say, well, you know, if we sort of, if we acquire companies to grow, then we can eliminate all kinds of, you know, administrative burdens and make a more efficient sort of, you know, P&L out of it. And I, I think that that's what you're talking about. And it has many components of just like, wow, like the weight not being on a smaller group of people and that can like sort of distribute that. And it can be played in a way that, you know, demonstrates more of like a, you know, sort of together we achieve more, right, you know, type of thing. And I, that must be what you're looking for maybe when you're trying to, you know, sort of exit your company and uh, have some kind of workout situation. It is. And uh, you just reminded me of something that transpired very quickly after the acquisition. I happened to go on a business trip within 10 days of the acquisition being completed and announced. And I was on the phone with my wife and she said, so are you, you know, are you relaxing? Is it, you know, it must, must feel good now to not own a business. And I said to her, I'm like, I'm just not there yet. I said, my brain is hardwired to operate in a certain way. And it's, it doesn't just, it just doesn't shut off. Uh, And sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's giving yourself permission to, to think and act differently. And it's, and it's not that you, it's not that you care less. It's that you just, you know, you have to care about different things now and you don't have to worry about 
certain other things. You can simply say, you know what, somebody else has got that covered and I trust that they have that covered. So there's no need for me to spend cycles on it. And how did you handle your company being acquired in terms of like communication to the team and how they're all becoming somebody else's employee or you're, you're still there, but you're, you know, sort of not the chief anymore. And, you know, how, how does that go when you're trying to manage not just your emotional flow for yourself, but for everybody else? It, it, it is a challenge for sure. You know, having been acquired before, you know, I, I worked for a company that was acquired by Dell years and years ago. It was Dell's very first acquisition they ever did. And the communication was not the greatest. There was a lot of uncertainty. Nobody knew what the future held. And it was it was tough to go through. Uh, I tried to be very mindful of those feelings and those dynamics that I experienced back then throughout this acquisition. It wasn't perfect by any means. There were certainly bumps in the road. But my hope is that folks look back on that and say, okay, we were we were given the information that we could have been in as much detail as possible. Hopefully, there was as much uncertainty and doubt removed from the whole equation. But at the end of the day, it's really difficult to to deliver that type of news in a way that people are just going to be like, all right, sounds good. I'm going to get back to work. It's, you know, it's just such a difficult message to deliver effectively and just get it right. Um, so it's, it's an evolution and it was absolutely an education for me. And I love how you said the, the morning thing, because I, I experienced that happening several times in different sizes of, of companies. And it was, you know, mega merger of two corporations. And, and it was sort of like, I remember it being interesting because at that point I'm like, I don't really care. I mean, it's like I have the same boss and like, you know, the logo is changing and stuff. But there was this weird experience of going, all right, everybody throw out your old coffee mugs and pens. And, oh, you're not allowed to use that piece of paper anymore and change the logos and everything. And it, it just felt like something was going away that I was associated with and I was becoming a new piece of a different machine and I just thought that was interesting because I didn't really care, but there was like this emotional hook anyway, you know? Well, I, I can tell you what is sitting right next to me is an unused MacBook um, that was issued to me by my the company that acquired us. I've used it very sparingly. I mean, I've been using my own MacBook forever and my life is on that MacBook and I've got to, I've got to kind of detach from that. And it's a very kind of simple tactical thing. And people may look at me like, oh, that's kind of silly, but uh, it's kind of a microcosm of the macrocosm that, yeah, this it's you know is not my rodeo anymore. <laughs> I'm playing in somebody else's game. <laughs> right <laughs> now, now my my logo T-shirt might end up in the in the bin somewhere. You know, like oh, remember when? Right. <laughs> so yes, remember. It's funny you say that. I use remember when all the time. We've you know throughout the evolution of my prior company, Forcivity, we I always ref, refer to these remember when moments. Remember when this happened. Remember when this happened. I was in our office a couple of weeks ago, and it's. It's full of T-shirts and mugs and pens and stickers. And it's not even from the old company. It's actually from two logos ago as we went through a rebranding exercise. So it's even older from that perspective. Right, right. Yeah, and you kind of like, geez, what do I do with all this stuff I spent all this money on? I, my, One of my first companies, I finally, I think, 10, 15 years later, I threw out a thousand pens or, you know, <laughs> donated to them at Goodwill or something. Cause it's like, this is ridiculous. You know, what am I, what am I doing? And it was, I think it was like the sunk cost mentality, you know, sort of like we paid for this and I'm not going to, yeah, we're going to use these things until they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it got pretty silly, but for, for years and years and years, we were still using those pens at home. So 
that arc of your sort of experiences, right? When you talk about, I've checked almost all the boxes. I mean, I don't, I don't know how old you are, but you don't look a great deal older than, you know, me. So you got some time left if you want it in the professional space. I'm curious about that. Well, I've checked all the boxes. Are you making new boxes? And, you know, the bucket list gets longer because you don't seem like one that, you know, wants to stop doing things. New. I'm not even close to stopping. Um, not even close to stopping. No, I'm making new boxes. As a quick aside, I, you know, going through the tech industry, I had this fear that I would be a person in their 50s who suddenly became obsolete. Because, you know, as fast as tech evolves, you don't want to, you know, kind of rally around a skill set that, you know, 10 years from now is going to be irrelevant. And I, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen with colleagues. You know, they, they get let go and they're unemployed for years or they have to, you know, completely reinvent themselves um, to stay gainfully employed. And I just always had this deep rooted fear of that happening to me. So just from, from my own professional growth, I've always looked for other opportunities. It's like, how can I stay relevant? How can I improve my skills? How can I demonstrate value to other folks? So, you know, if and when, um, quote unquote, the worker be that, you know, I can still say gainfully employed. And one way that I've, you know, kind of been focusing on or doing that over the past couple of years is teaching. Um, and that's kind of my next evolution in my career. And, I'm very fortunate that the position I'm in now is I'm going to be able to focus on that much, much more. And it's very much about, you know, teaching and enabling our team. And again, it's, it's kind of creating that space, that framework for them where they can learn and evolve and, you know, explore new things and say, Hey, you know, I'm going to try this or "Ah, that's not for me. I really like that. You know, let me, let me dial in on that. Let's pivot for a second now and just sort of look, forward, you know, take all those experiences and you're now, you know, you're looking out over uh, the B2B services sector and B2B in general. I always like to ask the guests to, you know, put on your futurist hat and kind of go like, which things micro macro, you know, what should be on everybody's radar right now? Well, you know, the, the pandemic is, it was a game changer for all businesses. And the reality is, is that Every company now has some type of hybrid working model, well, you know, working in the office and working at home. Uh, if anything, the, the pandemic exposed companies' inability to actually get things done digitally. Uh, not being in a physical office space, uh, being able to print a piece of paper or put something in a folder or go to a file cabinet, it really exposed the inefficiencies that actually exist in corporate America. That dynamic's not going away. And I think if anything... Digital transformation is going to continue to be a hot topic. I don't even call it a buzzword anymore. I think it's a necessity. If businesses are going to survive, they've got to digitally transform. They've got to be able to conduct business from anywhere. Running a professional services business, working a professional services business, I need exactly three things to work. I need my laptop, I need a power cord, and I need Wi-Fi. That's all I need. And I can work from anywhere. I've sat in my car and worked. And, you know, it's obviously it's a much more straightforward type of business. But the reality is businesses need to get to that point where their workers can be anywhere. You know, power, Wi-Fi and Internet uh, and a laptop is all they need. Uh, and they can move things around digitally and access everything that they need uh, without these archaic, you know, tech stacks and, 
you know, VPNs and, you know, various things of that nature. It's like get into the cloud. So I think that trend is going to continue for many years. So I think there's going to be still some significant investment there. Kind of amazes me to hear stories about, you know, legacy things in general now that I'm, I'm so steeped in this and I've been remote, just like you're talking about for so long that I, I even forget. And then it's like, you know, once in a while you get that strange ask where, uh, Hey, can you, you know, fax this to me or something. <laughs> it's kind of like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. I, don't, I don't even know how to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I couldn't even find a fax machine. Right yeah, now. <laughs> like, I, if you're, if you're still the one who sells the fax machine now, you can charge like $8 a page, I think. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, I tell you, I mean, so one industry there where faxing is still the thing is the healthcare industry. Oh, I know. It is, it, it is still an extremely secure way to exchange data. <laughs> um, so they're, they're married to it. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I agree. Uh, to transformation is now the mandate. And I, and I think like the order of complexity that that introduces, if you don't have the opportunity to, you know, many of these companies, many of all companies can't just build from scratch. You know, you don't get an opportunity at large scale to tear it down and build it up the right way. So the transition, I think, is really what is the most difficult thing. And that's where you would really benefit from hiring a, a partner to, to do it because you cannot take your eye off the ball in order to say, yeah, we're just going to pause everything and rebuild. No, you, you can't do that. So, you know, these are not skills that you would want to hire onto your team full time. So that's a really good use case to have, you know, a partner in, in any context to help move you over there. I think there's sometimes there's an aversion to, you know, professional services or consultants and, you know, all these things. The reason that exists is because transition points need to be accelerated and you can't do it yourself while also, you know, maintaining a cash flow positive business. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't have the time, you don't have the team, you don't have the skills. I mean, that's, that's why specialists like us exist. Um, you know, come in, you know, swoop in, do the job and then move on. <laughs> great. Great. Well, Steve, I appreciated the insights today. If anybody is listening and, uh, you know, wants to, if they resonated with what you're saying and, you know, wants to reach out, what's the best uh, channels to do that? So I'm on LinkedIn. So if you kind of go to the LinkedIn slash in slash Steve Baines, you can find me right there. I'm on Twitter as Steve Baines, uh, Baines spelled B-A-I-N-Z because I couldn't get my my full name. <laughs> but those are the two best ways to reach me. And I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So folks can feel free to reach out to me anytime. Fantastic. Well, Steve, thanks for coming out. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Lodge. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.